Welcome to our newest Hearts Unite the Globe hug patrons. Annie Olchek, we sincerely appreciate your support. Thank you for joining our community and making a difference through Patreon. Judy Miller, thank you for being our first Buzzsprout supporter for Bereave But Still Me. Buzzsprout started a new program where you can actually support the podcast of your choice. There are so many ways you can support Hug. All you have to do is visit our website, heartsunitetheglobe.com, to see how you too can help empower, educate, and enrich the lives of individuals in the CHD and bereaved communities. Thank you all for your continued support. Welcome to Heart to Heart with Anna. We are now about halfway through our spotlight on cardiac athletes. Lars Andrews wrote a book called Cardiac Athletes, and he was a guest on Heart to Heart with Anna. He's now gearing up to assemble Cardiac Athletes 2, featuring stories about athletes who have undergone cardiac procedures. Some of the athletes were born with congenital heart defects, and some had acquired heart disease. I've been enjoying interviewing some of the athletes who will be featured in his book. Today, we'll be meeting Martin Brady. Welcome to Heart to Heart with Anna, Martin. Hello to everybody, and thank you for asking me to be on this podcast. Well, I'm very excited. Today, we are talking to Martin in the United Kingdom. So I'm really curious about your cardiac condition. Can you tell us about it, Martin? I was born with bicuspid aortic valve, but I didn't actually find out about it till I was about 24, 25. I used to do cross-country at school. I was reasonably good at it. I used to get in the, the school team. Mm-hmm. But when I left school, I had a few years off, and then I started running again. I found where the type of running I really enjoyed, but it was only later on. When I was training very hard, when I was about 24, uh, I started getting chest pains. And it's then that they actually found out what the problem was. And it took them six months to find out that I had a bicuspid aortic valve. Because initially they thought it was asthma or some other issues. It's only till I had an angiogram when they actually found out that that was a problem. Wow. So they thought it was asthma. That was one of the thoughts that the doctors had at the time because I was very fit. Mm-hmm. And at the time, I was training very hard. I was training for a marathon, actually. It was going to be my first marathon. And I was training very, very hard for that. And I was getting chest pains. And one day, I was getting slightly out of breath as well. And mm-hmm. when I was running, it was quite sore as well. So I went to the doctors and they said, oh, we can't hear anything. One of the doctors said it could be asthma. And then eventually, I saw a GP doctor. And he said, I want to just give you an echo. Right. And when he did that, it was then that he realized that it could be a heart issue, but he wasn't sure what mm. it was. Because he said, it looks like you might have a little bit of thickening on, in the heart, mm-hmm. through the heart wall. So I ended up being sent to hospital to see the cardiologist. Mm-hmm. And when he listened to it, he said straight away, you've got a heart murmur. Mm. And then he got, uh, had to have an angiogram soon after that. And then they confirmed that it was a bicuspid aortic valve, which was causing all the problems. Okay. So this was quite a surprise because you had been fit all your life and you had been exercising all your life. What ended up happening after they discovered that it was bicuspid? Well, initially, the cardiologist said, because I have to stop running for a while, because I'm not sure whether he thought there were some other issues with the heart, because I've been relatively young, say 24, but he never went into any details. But he said, I think oh, I want you to stop for a while. So I did do. And then eventually I started doing little bits of job 
been and got back into running again. Saw the cardiologist again. And he said, oh, oh, it's okay to run now. So then I went back into doing full training, but not doing marathon training at the time. It was a lot shorter, things like six miles instead of doing 20 miles for training. Yeah, there's a big difference. The stress that you put on your heart for a marathon is different than if you're just jogging a couple miles. When the problem came around, I'd switched from main kind of running, which was foul running, which is running up and down mountains. That was my key sport. It's what I really enjoyed doing. That particular year, I thought, I'm going to try something different. I'm just going to take a bit of time out from the mountain running and then train for a marathon. So I was going out and doing long training runs on the road from doing, when I'm running on the mountains, the, the stress is a lot, a lot less. People think probably think it's going to be harder, but for me, it's not because one minute you're running fast, then it's slow. You're either going up or down. And the muscles you use are being used in a different way. So they keep changing with marathon running. It was all constant pace, constant speed, as hard yeah. as you can. And I think that's what kind of highlighted the problem. Okay. So you changed the type of exercise you were doing and your heart was able to tolerate that. Well, it seems that way because after that, I never really had those kind of chest pains again because I never really pushed myself to those extremes because I was really training at like six minutes a mile pace. And I say I'm, I'm only a small person, I'm only just over five foot tall, and I was quite thin as well, so I didn't weigh all that much. But I, was, but I used to push myself. I never used to go for a training run and have a nice, easy jog. Everything was had to be timed. I think that was my, <laughs> that was my downfall. It was okay. like a race. Everything was racing. Yeah, so you had and, to go all out every time. Yeah, exactly, yeah. <laughs> That's what it's like being a youngster, I think. I was only thinking about this the other day, about... The difference between now and then that my training, my training now, I'll have an easy day. On the odd time, I'll, I'll push a bit harder. Whereas before, it really was, a, I'd time myself to street corners, certain points on the route, and I'd always be trying to beat it every time I went out for a run. <laughs> there, was never, there was never any, there was never any let up. But oh, I think that's why, that's why I ended up in this position. Right, right. Okay, so after they discovered you had a bicuspid aortic valve, did you have to see a cardiologist regularly? Initially, they started at six-month intervals, mm -hmm. and after about two years, it went on to yearly intervals. At the time, they said, you may need to have this valve replaced, or you may right. not do it, depends. Uh -huh. Initially, they talked about there being regurgitation in the valve, and then they, they said the heart was slightly enlarged as well. The one of the oh. left ventricle was slightly enlarged as well because it was the aortic valve that was the problem. Right. And, uh, and obviously the left ventricle is, is trying to work harder so it builds up and builds up in, in, uh, in terms of a, it's, it's a muscle so it builds, you know, it gets bigger. Right. So I think when I was going to see the cardiologist, each time I went, I'd have an echocardiogram and an ECG mm -hmm. and then they compare it from the previous year to see whether the heart was getting any bigger, how bad the regurgitation was, whether that was getting any worse. Right. That went on for several years. Mm -hmm. And in this time, though, I was back onto the hill running, the fell running. Okay. That was really my main sport, mm -hmm. to swim every day as well, before I went to work. So I had a combination of like, running and swimming and a little bit of cycling as well. My main sport was definitely running. Okay. The mountain running was really was my hobby. It was what I enjoyed. I gradually moved from doing the shorter distances to longer distances, like 20 miles plus, especially in the summertime. 
I'd be doing long fell races, so I'd be out running for four or five hours oh, wow. over the mountain. Yeah. Okay. So they were worried about your heart becoming too enlarged because of the regurgitation, and they told you to stop. How long was it that you stopped before you started back up again? It was only a matter of three or four months, maybe. It wasn't a long period of time. Oh, okay. A few weeks ago, I was looking through my training records, and it just showed that I was still going out, but I was only jogging very short distances and, and really swimming. So mm-hmm. not really running, not pushing myself to any limits. But there came a point when they just said, oh, you'd be okay. You'd be okay to run. From that point, what I'd try and do was between the visits to the cardiology, say it was every year, as soon as I'd been to see them and they said it's okay to carry on, I'd forget about it. I'd put it in the back <laughs> of my mind and try and, try and, and just run as normally as I used to do. Uh-huh. And then when it came around to the time to see the cardiologist, it's only then I'd really think a lot about it this was initially in the first few years right but it was uh, from being diagnosed to actually being taken it was probably 23 24 years oh wow so i'd managed to keep running over that period of time that's amazing that's wonderful to know that you were able to manage it that long and to stave off surgery but the feeling i'm getting is that you're going to be telling me here soon that you did have to have your valve replaced Well, unfortunately, that is the case, yes. But Mm -hmm. I must admit, I was hoping that this wouldn't happen. Something did happen probably in 2003 or four. I went for one of my yearly checkups and had the echocardiogram. Mm -hmm. Normally, we don't get the results straight away. I thought they'd just say, if there's any changes, we'll get in contact with you. So I went away thinking everything was normal. Right. At the time, I was actually planning on doing a very long run in the Lake District in the UK, it was going to be a 24-hour run. Oh, wow. It was called the Bob Graham Round. It's 42 mountains that you have to do in 24 hours. And I thought, I'll go for this. So I was actually out training for that. I was running for probably about five or six hours. So steady pace, up and down a few mountains. When I came home, I had a letter. I come through the letterbox, and it was from the, the hospital. It was Wivenshaw Hospital in Manchester. Mm-hmm. And they said the results are, are significantly different from the previous year. And so I had to go back and see them. Mm-hmm. When I went to see the cardiologist again, they decided to leave it alone, but put me back on uh, checkups every six months, Okay, which was a relief to me. But thinking back on it, I really, that was probably the time to say action should have been taken because things were getting worse. So did you feel worse? No, to be honest, I didn't, no. Mm. But the way I felt was I'd rather keep going as I was. I didn't like the prospect of having surgery, to be quite honest. Well, of course. I can't imagine anyone who would. (laughs) No. No, my thoughts were that to try and keep it as long as possible. Sure. Thinking back, it probably wasn't the best idea because I probably went a little bit too long before it should have been done. But each time I'd go and see the cardiologist, I'd say to myself, I just hope I can get through it this time, just six more months and then... I'll have it done then. My life was split up into six-month chunks of seeing the cardiologist. And then it was like it was like having a, a pass then for six months so I could go out running again and then <laughs> and go and see them again. It was a funny state of affairs. That's how I kept the motivation going. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And you did that for years. That's quite remarkable. You didn't let it slow you down. You Once you got the go-ahead, you just went all out again for another six months until you that's went back. It, that's it. <laughs> <laughs> oh, my goodness. The most common theme that I hear is why. She always needed uh, a 
lot of attention. She had strokes. Even though it's a natural inclination to withdraw from the CHD community, I think being a part of it helped me be part of the solution. Heart to Heart with Michael. Please join us every Thursday at noon Eastern. I'm Michael Lieben, and I'll be your host as we talk with people from around the world who have experienced those most difficult moments. Forever by the Baby Blue Sound Collective. I think what I love so much about this CD is that some of the songs were inspired by the patients. Many listeners will understand many of the different songs and what they've been inspired by. Our new album will be available on iTunes, Amazon.com, Spotify. I love the fact that the proceeds from this CD are actually going to help those with congenital heart defects. Enjoy the music. Home tonight forever. When did you end up having surgery, Martin? It was in 2009. I was swimming. I usually go swimming Sunday mornings. I was doing a mile swim, and I just didn't feel right. I'd done about 16 lengths, quarter of a mile, and I just thought the chest was feeling a bit heavy, and things didn't feel right at all. And I got out to the pool early, which is unlike me, mm-hmm. and I thought, well, I'll go home, and I'll, I'll be all right then. So I went home, and it didn't get any better. Mm. So my wife ended up taking me to the hospital. Uh-huh. And as soon as I got in there, they did an ECG, and then I got rushed in to be looked at. You normally have to wait quite a while, but it was straight in. And the heart rate was at 220 beats a minute, which was quite oh, obviously wow. very high. Yeah. That was the thing that was causing the discomfort. Sure. So the doctors were trying all sorts of things to try and get the heart rate back down. Right. Eventually it went down on its own. It, okay. it, it just disappeared. But they kept me in the hospital overnight, and then it mm-hmm. started again. Mm. So I had six hours of that. They had to put the heart back in rhythm again. Oh, my goodness. That must have been really scary for you. It wasn't the best of times, I must admit. (laughs) But um, when it was done, it was then I think I really realized that now was the time. Yeah. I think that action had to be taken because the doctor was saying it's been overstressed now and Mm -hmm. it's time that the valve should be replaced because Mm -hmm. this time... They said, as well as the regurgitation, they said it was stenoic as well. So they said the, oh. it was, uh, I think, a 0.8 of a centimetre. So that's the limit at which they think surgery is required. Right. Also, on top of that, the heart was enlarged and also had an aneurysm of the aorta as well. So there was all these things were coming into play. Sure. It was so, uh, multiply complicated. So it was, yes. What it meant was that now was the time to, to have surgery. Once I got it into my mind, that was the case. Things were a lot easier then to cope with it. The thought of having open heart surgery was quite daunting. But once I realized that it had to be done, it wasn't so bad after all. It was you know, once I kind of accepted it. Mm-hmm. I thought, well, this is, we'll, we'll get it done and then we'll see what happens on the other side. But I had problems with this. I had to see a surgeon because right. I knew that potentially I'd have to have a new heart valve. Right. I did a bit of research into the different types of valves, the, the tissue valves and the mechanical valves. Right. There was 48 at the time. Okay. So I'd already got it in my mind what type of valve I wanted. So when I went to see the surgeon... <laughs> I'm just not, I'm I'm just not probably, surprised at all. You probably told him exactly what you wanted, didn't you, Martin? <laughs> well, nearly. <laughs> I, I, when I saw the surgeon, he said, now we'll have to talk about valves. And I said, I've seen, I know it's a very contentious subject. Mm-hmm. It's very personal, which way, uh, the, the choice. Right. I got it in my mind, which way I 
I wanted to go with it. Uh-huh. Uh, and the surgeon thought, because of my sporting background, thought I'd go for a tissue valve. But I decided, because of my age, that I'd have a mechanical one. Okay. And uh, I was only thinking the other week that if it was today, I'd probably go the other way. But I accept the fact I've got what I've got. And the surgeon was quite happy with that. He said, right, if that's what you want, that's it. You know, then we'll go with that. Okay. I haven't really had any problems since with this valve. The surgery was in the beginning of 2010. It took quite a while to get over the surgery, but the surgery wasn't as bad as I thought it was going to be, especially the wait in the hospital. I still think it's the strangest thing that's happened to me was that I've never felt as calm in my life as I did the hours before surgery. It was a really strange feeling. Once I was in the hospital, I just felt, right, now's the time. We're going to get this fixed. It would be the start of my new life. It really was a strange thing. Yeah. I've never, I've never, never felt that before, ever. There's a real kind of calmness about the place. Wow. It sounds like you had really, well, you had many years to come to grips with the fact that this was something that needed to be done. And by the time it did have to be done, you were perfectly at peace with it. Yeah, I think that's part of it because there's a website, a forum called valvereplacement.com. And I used to spend quite a few hours on that, mm-hmm. just reading what people did and talked about. And I knew what it was like after, what potentially what it would be like afterwards, and the worry before, and then, then and obviously the valve choice as well. And because I'd, I'd done the research with the valve, right, right, uh, that that was one less stressful sure. thing to go through. Sure. I think that I think that helped a bit. Yeah, yeah, and there wasn't the uncertainty. Do I have another six months? Do I have another year? Yeah. Yeah, you were just going to exactly. have that taken care of. So, was your surgery a little more complicated because of the aortic aneurysm? Yeah, I think I was in surgery for, I think the wife said it was about seven hours. Yeah, that's a big surgery. But they said said it was quite a long time. Mm -hmm. But uh, I was on the heart-lung machine. The surgeon said it was 36 minutes. Okay. I remember when I woke up, I just remember thinking, thank God I don't have to go through that again. That was my (laughs) first thought. (laughs) And uh, and the other thing was, there was this kind of a feeling that you know, we're talking about the, the six month intervals mm-hmm. and there was a kind of relief. I didn't have to go through the six months intervals anymore because right. this was it. This is stepping over. This is stepping over sure. the uh, obstacle. Yeah. I'm on the other side now. Right. It was a good feeling to say, right, we can be yeah. positive now. We can go and we'll see what I can do. So what does being a cardiac athlete mean to you, Martin? Well, for me, cardiac athletes really helped me get back into appreciating athletics again because, as I say, I was struggling trying to find the new me, the, the new Martin, the athlete. And it's only when I actually kind of spoke to other cardiac athletes that I realized that other people have been through this, the same thing. Mm-hmm. I've met quite a few of them now. and We've got a meet-up in two weeks where there's a race where there's a 5K, 10K and a 10-mile race, and we all meet up. Somebody put it on Facebook the other day saying, it's almost like you may have met them for the first time on that day, but it feels like you've known them for years. There's this right. common bond. Yeah. They're very, I find, very like-minded people. They're all with a desire to do something. Yeah. What it means is I change the way I do things slightly, but I still go and do things. I've done things now with the heart valve, with things that I'd never done before. Like I did a cross-country ski race. I cross-country ski once every few years, and there's a race I always wanted to do. This was in Austria, in Europe. Uh-huh. I thought, well, I'm going to do it. It was 26 miles, but I arranged the flights and everything so I could get there enough time to train for it. This is just to get round. It's not, not, to, not to be anywhere near the front. 
I look back and I think, I'm glad they did that now. That's It's an important milestone in my life. This is the thing with cardiac athletes, the things I find is that quite highly motivated. When they want to do something, they do it. It doesn't matter. Speed doesn't come into it. It's not who's the quickest. It's, it's being there, doing it, and being part of a common team. We're all in this thing together. We're all cardiac athletes. We've all got different types of heart problems, but we've all kind of overcome them in our own little ways, and we all help each other. I love it. That's what cardiac athlete is to me. I love it. I love it. And that's a common sentiment that I'm hearing from the other cardiac athletes. I love all the support you give one another and how it's not about being first. It's about being the best you that you can be. Yeah, exactly. That's That really is what it's about. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, I have so enjoyed talking with you, Martin. This has been awesome. Are you going to be writing for Lars's new book? I did a few pages of my story. That's great. I reached a milestone as well the other week. Is I've done 500 races now, running races, since my valve replacement. So that's seven years. Wow. 500? Well, somebody said that's an achievement in itself. It certainly is. A lot of them are only very short races. But this is what it is. I look at it as it's my new life now. Yeah. It's not at full speed anymore. It's just going out and enjoying it. And I enjoy doing these runs. A lot of them are like park runs as well. I don't know if you have them in America, but the, you know these 5K runs Saturday sure. morning. Yeah, we have them. Mm-hmm. That's another place to meet the cardiac athletes and other like-minded people. Right. Wow. Wow, that's amazing. Over 500. That is quite a milestone. Well, thanks for coming on the program today and sharing your story with me, Martin. There's no problem. Thanks for asking me. It's been so much fun. Thanks for listening today, friends. Please come back next week when we'll feature another cardiac athlete. And until then, friends, remember, you are not alone. Heart to Heart with Anna is a presentation of Hearts Unite the Globe and is part of the Hug Podcast Network. Hearts Unite the Globe is a nonprofit organization devoted to providing resources to the congenital heart defect community to uplift, empower, and enrich the lives of our community members. If you would like access to free resources pertaining to the CHD community, please visit our website at www.congenitalheartdefects.com for information about CHD, the hospitals that treat children with CHD, summer camps for CHD survivors, and much, much more. Thank you again for joining us this week. We hope you have been inspired and empowered to become an advocate for the congenital heart defect community. Heart to Heart with Anna, with your host, Anna Jaworski, can be heard every Tuesday at 12 noon Eastern Time.